But again, if you have your Bibles in Acts chapter 9, uh, we're going to continue on in this study. <clears throat> we um, saw last week something I think very important that uh, it's, it's, again, I don't want us to ever glaze over anything or, or just kind of scoot by or hear words, but allow the, the message, allow the Word of God to truly impact our, our hearts, our minds, our lives. And last week we saw that God's calls and commands should be answered with submitted hearts. And again, it's, it's, it's easy for us to, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, to hear something that you're familiar with and just kind of skirt by it, just kind of push by it. Yeah, yeah. But again, I think it's so important for us to, to, to be open and, and receptive every time uh, that we approach the Word of God. I was talking with one of our members yesterday afternoon and uh, talking about Psalms and Proverbs, and, and she said, you know, every time that I, I hear Psalms and Proverbs, every time I read Psalms and Proverbs, um, it seems like I hear or learn or gain something new from it. And I said, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the living Word of God, and we are all in a process of growing. And so the, it should never get to a point where we say, well, yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with that scripture. I can't tell you how many times that I've, I've read, studied, taught, preached, uh, thoroughly examined verses before, and then went to study and, and, and preach or teach it or, or whatever again, and been like, whoa, that's amazing. You know, just something else God uh, reveals or, or shows or, or wants to teach us through the Spirit. Uh, but the lesson we got in that, again, was that Ananias, this faithful, devoted servant, this faithful, devoted Christian, follower of Christ, um, was asked to do more for God. And um, that's something vital, too, because uh, we consider that, that reality in itself. He was faithful. He was devout, the Bible says. He was, he was reliable. He was already following Christ, already serving Christ. It said that he was, you know, um, in, in the synagogue. All those things were, were real about Ananias, but God come to him and ask him for more, something that was going to challenge his faith, to grow him uh, for the glory of God. I love the song that Rochelle just sang for so many different reasons, but uh, the, the, uh, that, that word, that, the line there where it says, um, my, uh, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory is his. And uh, again, we, we surrender our lives to Christ. And you've heard me say before that salvation or Christianity is not about holding a golden ticket to heaven. It's not, well, I, I said the prayer, I went through the motions, I have my ticket going to heaven, now I keep living my life, what I, what I want to do, how I want to do it. it it's, it's, a, it's a dying to self. It's a death to self. It's a, it's a, it's a self-crucifixion with Jesus Christ. Only to be raised in his likeness, only to be raised by him in his, with his life, uh, to live for him for the rest of our life. Again, we sometimes make that decision when we're kids. Sometimes we make that when we're teenagers. Sometimes we make that when we're young adults. Sometimes we make that when we're older adults. But when we make that decision, it is a full committal of our life. And, and we no longer have the right to say, well, I want, I want to do this now. I've been serving God like this for so long, and now it's time for me. We gave up that right when we said yes to Jesus. But oftentimes in our lives, we get so busy. I touched on this a little bit yesterday in our leadership lessons that we were going through we get so busy in our lives with stuff and the stuff let's be honest most of the time mostly is worldly responsibilities or worldly hobbies let's be let's be honest and, and admit that this morning that most of the time when we say man we're just so busy 
a lot of it has to do with worldly responsibilities and hobbies. And sometimes those things crowd in on, on our spiritual responsibilities and spiritual service to Christ, our Lord, our God. And we begin to think, like when God came to Ananias, hey, I need you to do something else for me. And we hear a challenge from the pastor. We hear, say, hey, we need some volunteers for this. Or, hey, we need, you used to be serving. And, and we think of the things that we're already doing for God. We're already faithful in these things. But we have allowed ourselves to be more involved and more active and more things on our plate in the world. And I say, man, we're just so busy to think about more for Christ, to do more for him, especially when we're already serving, especially when we're already faithful. It can be daunting. But it's important for us to remember that we are, as I said last week, to be living sacrifices. And the word says, unto God. You can look it up, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But present yourselves living sacrifices unto God, which is your act of worship. So when we're busy... And we have to make a decision on what gives in our lives. I mean, I'm so busy. Pastor's saying we should be doing more. I just don't know if we should be doing more because we should, you know, make sure that we get the proper rest and that we should, we should, we should take the right time for ourselves and time for our family and, and do all these things that, that we're, that's healthy for us to do. And he's talking about doing more. So when it comes to that point and we say we're too busy, we're so busy, we got to make a decision on what gives. We have to determine who's going to get shortchanged. That's what it boils down to. We got to make a decision. Who are we going to shortchange? Who's going to get the short end of the stick? God or the world? We may not like to be honest, that honest this morning, but I want to challenge us to be that honest. We, we, we live like this world is heaven sometimes. We live like this is all the good stuff the world has to offer, is, and then we got to get it and grab it and do it while we can. Because, man, if we miss this opportunity, we'll never get to do it again. Amen. I think that many writers, especially in the New Testament, would say that's short-sighted. Short that's not remembering that you've been born again. That's not remembering that you'd be living sacrifices unto God. That's not remembering that we are no longer ourselves because we've been bought with a price. But yet we fill up our lives, we stack up the days, and we stack up the hours, and we stack up the weeks and the months, and we, we, we look at our calendar and say, well, there's just no time to do anything else for the Lord. I, I would do that, but I've got so many other things that I'm committed to. But he is my Lord. He is. He is my God. He's my Lord. He's over me. He's the one I worship. He's the one I serve. But the world comes calling, whether it's activities or hobbies or responsibilities or whatever. The world comes calling and says, oh, yes, 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 okay. Well, we can't sacrifice. We can't shortchange the world. we got to do it now. If we don't do it now, we'll never do it. Well, the last point that we saw was we should trust God's providential plan even when we can't see it. Again, as that faithful, devout disciple of Jesus Christ in Damascus, the city, remember, that Saul himself was going to terrorize, he had very clear and specific instruction for the Lord. Go to the street, that's called straight, 
and inquire, ask, ask it at the house of Judas, very clear where he was supposed to go, who he was supposed to talk to, ask about this person called Saul of Tarsus, because he's there and he's going to be praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man, you, Ananias, coming in, putting his hand on him so that he might receive a sight. Again, we saw that Ananias responded with anxiety. He was, he was concerned about, uh, about what he had heard from many people, the Bible says, about Saul, this terrorizer, this persecutor, this murderer of Christians. How much harm, Scripture says, he, had done, he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. This is Ananias talking back to God. And he says, not just in Jerusalem, but here in Damascus, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call in your name. And again, that's where we left off. Ananias, this faithful, devout disciple, being asked to do more for Jesus, who, he, who was his Lord, who was his Savior, who was his God, asking more from him in his life to step out further in faith to do something that took him beyond his comfort zone. And he says, but God, this, this guy has been terrorizing your church in Jerusalem, and, and he was even coming here, and now you want me to go to him? I want to pray this morning and see what results in this and see what lessons we can learn, because I think that's such an ironic thing that, that Ananias responded with. So let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you again for all that you do. Thank you for the sweet time of praise we've already had and worship. Lord, just moving in this place, God, you, you're, you've already been answering prayers and we thank you and praise you for that, God. We continue now to ask for your favor and your spirit to, to fall in this place. God, have your way in each one of our lives. And I'm praying and begging right now, start with me. Lord, we are running out of time. You told us 2,000 years ago that we are to redeem the time for you because the days are evil. You said 2,000 years ago that the days were short. Lord, help us to, to, to be spiritually awake and not spiritually slumbering. God, help us to, to actually care about what matters most and live like that. Lord, we pray that you just move in this place now. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 9, verse 15 is where we pick up. But the Lord said to him, again, Ananias responded back, but God, he's coming to, to terrorize, and you're, you, or you want to just go and, and martyr me? <laughs> What's going on? The Lord returns and says, but I want you to go. And here's why. Because he's a chosen vessel of mine. To bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now remember, Saul, this great esteemed, this great, you know, well-known for what he did. I mean, again, you, you want to know how we know he was well-known and esteemed and regarded and feared? Word got to Damascus, to this uh, regular servant of, of God, Ananias. That this Saul who terrorized the church was coming to Damascus to terrorize the disciples there. So this Saul who had left everything, everything he had in the world, to follow Jesus Christ, surrendered all. We saw, again, a couple weeks ago, he, he gets up and in, in, he says, Lord, I'm yours, whatever you want me to do. He says, okay, I want you to go, go, go to Damascus and I'll tell you there what you're supposed to do. So Saul gets up and, and the first step of obedience follows Jesus Christ to the word, goes to Damascus, but he's blind. We talked about how adversity comes even when our obedience is, is very sincere. So he, he faces blindness, goes to, to Damascus. He's hanging out in this guy's house that he doesn't even know for three days, and he's just praying, waiting, not, not eating, just praying, fasting, waiting on God to show up and, and, and show him what he's supposed to do with the rest of his life. 
He had, a, he had a direction. He had a career. He had success. He had everything he wanted in life, and yet he surrendered it to Christ. And the first thing he's met with in his obedience and surrender to Christ is adversity, blindness, uncertainty, no direction now. And then we see another disciple, Ananias. Hey, I want you to go and meet this guy who was coming to actually kill you. Possibly. And what I want you to tell this guy who surrendered his life to me, who had a career, who had success, who had fame, what I want you to tell him is all the things that he is going to suffer for my name's sake. Oh, that's good news. I'll take this to that, that murderer. I'll take this good, I'll take this wonderful news that he's going to suffer all of these things for my name's sake. The one who you just surrendered to, I'll do that. But it brings to light a very clear reality about following Christ. And, and we are, are so shielded from it, so shunned from it, I think so spoiled against it, that when it comes, we scratch, fight, whine, complain, everything we can to, to stop and get out of it. And that's suffering for Christ. Point number one is this, suffering for Christ is part of following Christ. That's why I came to church today to be uplifted, not to hear that I'm supposed to be suffering for Christ. I came today to be encouraged. Well, hopefully you will be because this is truth, but I, I've said it many times, even last week, that we live in a culture that's dominated by pleasure, convenience, and comfort-driven motives. I'm going to do what makes me feel good. I'm going to do what's comfortable for me to do, what's convenient for me to do. And we will do everything in our life to make it more pleasurable, more convenient, more comfortable for us. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with comfort or convenience or making things more streamlined, but we live our lives driven by that and for that, for the God of this world, for not God, the God of this world, the prince and power of the air, Satan. For we, we, we do it for the world system, I mean. We do it for ourselves. What's wrong with a little time for me? I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a little time for us, but when we're living our lives with that as the objective, we're missing a whole lot. Big piece of the puzzle about following Christ. I think I put this in your notes, but hopefully this will sink in. But the abundant life that Jesus offered was never described as the American dream. He said, I, and I give to them abundant life. I, 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 that's what he came to give. A life that is abundant. But here's Ananias coming to this servant of God now, Saul, who's going to be eventually Paul the Apostle that, that we know, who, who writes the majority of the New Testament. God uses him as that, that instrument to write it. He's going to tell Saul, hey, you know how you had money and fame and, and all the stuff you got to do? I mean, you were, you were living your life for you. Guess what? This is so encouraging. This is cool. Get ready, Saul. You're going to suffer a whole lot for Christ. Well, wait a second. That's, that's not the Jewish dream. And Paul was a Roman citizen. Well, that's not the Roman dream. You mean, I, I gave up all that, my life that I had? I could do whatever I wanted to do, and now... Now you're saying I'm going to have to walk this path of following Christ? 
that suffering. The truth is this, a life that's surrendered to Christ is a life that is surrendered to Christ. But I think it's important to be clear on this. Suffering for Christ doesn't come because God delights in seeing his children suffer. That's not the truth. A lot of people say, so you say that being a Christian means that, that God loves to see us go through bad times and suffer for his name's sake. Absolutely not. So if suffering for Christ is part of following Christ, then why does it happen? If God is sovereign, he has power, why would he allow us, who are his children, who he saved, he died to save, to, to suffer in this world? One of the main reasons is, is the, when we get saved, we no longer fit into this world. We no longer fit into this world. Man, if you feel comfortable here, you're in the wrong place. I'm not saying there aren't things that bring us comfort and, 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 and ease and, and things that we enjoy in this world. Absolutely. Don't go down that train of thought. It's not what it's about. But if you are living in this world and for this world and you get your joy and your pleasure and you get your fulfillment, you get all those things by the things that exist in this world, the people that exist in this world, if your source of joy and comfort and love and peace is not Jesus Christ, you've got to do some evaluating this morning. Because when we get saved, again, we do not fit in this world system anymore. And Jesus warned, he said, this is Jesus' words, if you were of the world, John chapter 15, the world would love you as its own. You would fit in. Every, everybody who is living for this world, who, everybody who is living for sin and themselves, you would fit in with them. But because he's talking to his followers. But because you're not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. you just, it just doesn't work anymore. He says, remember the word that I said to you? A servant's not greater than his master. Jesus told them that before, and, 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 he, and he reminds them of that. He said, because if they persecuted me, who's the master, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Again, you'll, you'll see there's going to be a difference between those who are followers of God and those who are not. But all these things they will do to you on account, what does it say? Of my name. Man, I used to have friends before I got saved, and now I got saved, and all those friends don't want to be around me anymore. They, they say I've changed, and I'm different, and I talk different, I act different, I don't want to do those fun things, and I, they, you know, I'm a different person, all this kind of stuff. They say all that stuff now, but you know what? It's, the truth is this. They're doing it because of Jesus. Because Jesus in you is convicting to them. He says, because they do not know him who sent me. 1 Peter chapter 4, beloved, do not be surprised as the fire trial when it comes upon you to test you. So don't, well, oh my goodness, why am I going through this? He said, don't do that as though something strange were happening to you. Like, like, like you are, are unique and suffering in this world. Don't think that that's strange, but rejoice insofar as, you're, as you share in Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of the glory of God rests on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer, as a sinner or as a meddler. He says, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, don't let him be ashamed about this. Let him glorify God in that name. 
where it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, the people of God, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? In verse 18, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. God's got it. This, this world is not our home. We don't fit in. The world will hate us. The world will persecute us. The world will reject us because they rejected Jesus. Again, if, if you, it's okay to have friends that, that don't have a relationship with Christ. We should all do that. Why? Because we, we should love other people and we should want to share the truth, the gospel, so that they are rescued from the consequence of their sin for all of eternity, so that they are saved and experience eternal life like we get to. But if you find that the people that you fit best in with are people who don't have a relationship with Christ, you have to really examine that because he said, look, if you're my children, you just won't fit into the world. You'll have a struggle there. There'll be a disconnect. And even I'll get to that point to where they might persecute you and you'll suffer. Matthew chapter 5, though, says, blessed are those, blessed are you when, you're, when others revile you and persecute you. And they utter, they say all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is Jesus talking again. Rejoice and be glad when this happens because your reward is great in heaven. They did the same thing to the prophets who came before you. For, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, look at this promise, will be persecuted. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions. The Thessalonian believers were ex experiencing great persecution. They were, they were experiencing great uh, attacks from those who were Jewish, the religious Jewish crowd. And they were trying to get them to go back into Judaism, many of them. And, and they were facing severe persecution. And, and Paul's encouraging them. This is that Apostle Paul, eventually. He said that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Is we live in this world because we're not of this world, because Christ is in us. And this world hated Christ and crucified Christ, and we are following Christ. Know that this is what our lot is when we follow Christ in this temporal, sinful world. And Paul said, remind them, for when we were with you, we kept telling you uh, beforehand that you, you would suffer affliction, just as it's come to pass, and just as you know. Somebody said, well, what? what's the, why do you follow Christ then? For just, just to go to heaven? I mean, so if, if that's the case, then why don't I just live my life the way I want to live my life and enjoy all the pleasures and all the stuff that I want to do? And then when I, when I get to that point where I'm about to die, I'll give my life to Christ, go to heaven, and experience the, both of, the best of both worlds. The problem with that is, is we don't know when we're going to die. <laughs> That's the major problem there. But the other side is we've got to be willing to count the cost on what this world has to offer and what Jesus has to offer. Luke chapter 14, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, this is Jesus talking, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, ooh, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Somebody says, well, I thought Jesus taught about love. He's not saying hate as far as like despise, murder, with malice in your heart. That word right there is an old term. It means to love less. He says, so if you're coming to me and you're not willing to love every human relationship on this earth, including your own relationship with yourself, less than you love me, 
then we can't have a relationship. Because again, he is God alone. And he will not, he will not compete with your boss. He will not compete with your kid's coach. He will not compete with that organization. He will not compete with your hobbies. He will not compete with anything. He will be God or he will not be God at all with, to you. He will be Lord of all or he will not be your Lord at all. So Jesus said, if you come to me and you want to experience what I have to offer you, then you have to love me more than anyone else, including your own life, your own agenda, your own wants, your own desires. You have to love me more than all of that. And he says, and whoever doesn't bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Take up the shame, take up the, the, the suffering that goes along with it, all of it. And he says this, but think about this. Which, any, who, who of you among you, he says, that wants to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? That's a basic earthly principle. Hey, you know what, I'm going to build a tower. Okay, yeah, let's go, let's go start building. No, you don't do that. You say, okay, do we have enough material? If we don't have enough material, do we have enough money to buy the material we need to build the tower? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation, he's not been able to finish it. People look at what he's done and begin to mock him. Look, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not judging anybody. But there is a mailbox somewhere in this area that has been in process of being built for like six months, I think. And every time I drive by it, I'm like, when are they going to finish that mailbox? Like, you think, like, what is going on with that? And again, that's the mindset that happens. Well, did somebody not count the cost? Did they not have the money? Did they not have the resources? Did they not have the person to build it? Like, that's where the mindset goes. And that's what he's saying. On earthly terms, or what king go out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 soldiers to actually meet him who comes against him with 20,000. All right, they got 20,000, we got 10,000, can we do this? What king just says, I don't care, let's go? He said, and if not, if he can't, if he can't meet him, if he can't battle him with that, if he, after counting the cost, at least he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Look, okay, there's peace treaty. And then he says this, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has for his sake cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Once salt is bad, it's bad. It's, it's no use either for the soil or even for fertilizer. It has no effect. It's lost its potency. So it's thrown away. He that have ears to hear, let him hear. What, what is the cost? Count the cost, he says. It's your life. It's control of your life. An enslaved and doomed life of sin and flesh. Surrender to the one, the only one, who can offer eternal life and freedom from that doom, from that death, and from that eternal damnation that will bring why would anyone want to control their life when it means a life of sin? Well, sin is pleasurable. It's fun. But it's for a season. And it has a wage. And that wage is death. So while it is pleasurable, it's also deceptive and destructive. It destroys not only the person committing the sin but others around it. The truth is this, that sin gives death. Jesus is the only one who gives life. 
So count the cost is what Jesus said. I think that we need to count that cost again in our life. If you're not a follower of Christ, it's important for you to count that cost. But if you say that you have given your life to Christ, let these words remind you that we are no longer our own. We are supposed to be loving Christ above all. It's worth surrendering all. And it's worth even a little period in comparison to eternity on this temporal earth to suffer for the one, the only one who suffered and could suffer for our sin. So God tells Ananias, he's concerned about suffering for Christ. Go and talk to him, but he may kill me. He tells this, this, this follower, go, go to him because he's chosen, and you need to show him how many things he's going to suffer for my namesake. Talk about irony, right? Think about it again. Here's this disciple who surrendered his all, who counted the cost, who gave his life, who loved even his own life, loved all of his earthly relationship less then he loved Jesus Christ. He tells him, go and, and, and meet Saul. I've got to tell him how many things he's got to suffer for my name's sake. Ananias' first earthly, fleshly thought is, but he might kill me. I might have to suffer for you. But yeah, I, I got it. But I need you to go tell him how many things he's got to suffer. Oh, I got you, Lord. <laughs> you want, oh, you want me to follow you even if it brings about suffering. I'm about to go tell this instrument that's chosen how many things he's got to suffer. So how does he respond? Acts chapter 9, I'm going to hurry. Verse 17, Ananias went his way, entered the house, laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, <laughs> the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized and so he went, uh, so when he had received food and was strengthened, then he spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And that is just an amazing thing. Right? That story right there is amazing. Point number two, when you're filled with the Spirit, Spirit, <laughs> obedience and fellowshipping or assembling naturally result. When you are filled with the Spirit, obedience to Christ and fellowshipping, assembling with believers naturally result. Now, Paul was saved, and I believe that uh, being indwelt with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. When we get saved, again, we receive the Holy Spirit. The moment you got saved, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit comes in and does the washing and renewing. He becomes the guarantee of our salvation, the Bible says. So when the moment we got saved, the Holy Spirit indwelt us. But there's a difference between being indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you're saved, he lives inside of you, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, as well as the church, and being filled with him, being filled with the Holy Spirit. See, what's interesting is no one had to convince Saul or persuade him that, first of all, he needed to be baptized and that he needed to assemble or fellowship with the disciples that he was previously coming to arrest. No one had to say, hey, man, it's so important for you to be there. Paul, Saul, Paul we, really, we really want you to be at church. We, we really need you there. It's really encouraging that you, you, you would come. You, you just got saved. You, no one had to do that. No one had to tell him, hey, you know, we already talked about the Ethiopian eunuch. When they came to water, he says, hey, look, water, what, what hinders me to do this? Same thing with, with Saul. He gets filled with the Spirit, and it produced immediately this desire to obey and assemble. Just like babies, when they come out of that womb, what happens whenever they're disconnected from that umbilical cord, that food source, for, for a little while? All of a sudden, they start feeling that feeling inside, I'm hungry. And they desire milk. Innately. And in the same way, spiritually, baby Christians innately desire the sincere milk of the word. 
They desire to be held and, and surrounded by family and loved on. But being filled with the Spirit is key. That's key. You may be a Christian here this morning, and you may have not been filled with the Spirit for so long that you forget what it feels like to be filled with the Spirit. How does it happen? Being filled with the Spirit is a daily surrender, a choice of which influence we're not only going to feed, but what we're going to follow. Are we going to feed and follow the Spirit, or are we going to feed and follow our flesh? And the, the beauty of having a relationship with Christ is we're free, we've been given liberty to choose that. Now the Spirit of God inside of us longs for us to follow the Spirit and to, to be led by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, but we battle the flesh, and the flesh says, man, but I, yeah, I would love to just stay home, and I would love to not do this, and I would love, I really would like to do this. But the Spirit says, yes, but this is more beneficial. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, you're called to freedom, brothers, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh. Uh-oh. But use the freedom to serve one another in love. Oh. For the whole law is filled in one word. You love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed of one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And you won't gratify, you won't fill the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not in the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. This, this is what the flesh produces. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, which is hostility, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's what the flesh wants to do. That's what the flesh longs to do. It pulls us after and he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, those that live like that won't inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, because we're under the Spirit, not under the law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, uh-oh, with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. And let's not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Romans chapter 7 is where Paul says, look, there's a war inside my members. Inside where the Spirit of God dwells and, and, and operates. And he, I long to do what God says to do. But I'm living in this earthly body that has, has partaken in, in sinful things. And has thought sinful thoughts. And, and has given in to sinful temptations. My body, even my brain, they, they know what it is to sin. And so when I get it, go about my daily life... I long to do inside. I want to do what God wants me to do. But man, I find a struggle every day to do what my flesh wants to do, what the world wants me to do. And the only hope that I have, he says in Romans chapter 7, and verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who's going to deliver me. That's who's going to help me. And we're doing the spiritual things mostly are hard because we live in that fleshly body. We live in a sinful world, but it's especially difficult if you're feeding your flesh primarily. That's, it's just difficult. Or if you're getting filled up with worldly things, but if your days are filled up with worldly things and worldly activities and worldly pleasures, and that's what you're filling yourself with. Think about this. Most of us today, as a church, will experience a little over an hour 
of, of just concentrated time of worshiping our Lord, our God, the one we say that he is our God. We have no other gods before him. An hour and a half in the morning, one day a week, and maybe some of us, an hour in the evening. Do you spend anywhere near that much time on a daily basis throughout the week? No, man, we, we stack up, which is what we have to do. 7, 8, 10, 12 hours, 14, 16 hours, sometimes a day of the job. Man, I have no other time. But So if I'm going to do this, and we're going to do this, and I'm going to enjoy this time, uh, then we're going to have to do this. And, and well, I, just, I'm just, I don't have any other time to spend praying or reading. And, and then when it comes to the weekend, man, I'm just so wore out. We've got so many things that we're going, so many things we're doing. Jesus told them, when they fell asleep, when he asked them to pray, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. But Galatians chapter 6, Paul would say, but don't grow weary of doing good just because you get tired. Because in due season, you'll reap if you don't give up. The truth is this, you do what you want to do. Do you want to do spiritual things? Do you want to live for the Lord? Do you want to be filled with the Spirit? Do you want to be eternally minded? Do you want to be a, 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 a fruitful vessel? If you really want to, that's what you'll pursue. But if you want to be successful in the world and you want to enjoy all the, the pleasures and, and that's what's driving you, then that's what you'll do. And you'll find the battle because the Spirit's inside of you and be tug of war your whole life. You do what you want to do. But the other side of that is you want to do what you feed and you have a hunger for. So the more you fill yourself with the word of God, the more you fill yourself with fellowship of believers, the more you fill yourself with prayer and all those things, the more you'll desire the things of God. If we're battling that, that's usually all we have to look to. Every time in Scripture we see someone get saved, the filling of the Holy Spirit, not just the indwelling, but the filling that results. So we see new Christians, and that's exactly what happens in their life. They're filled. What do they want to do? They want to get baptized. They want to learn. They want to grow. They want to fellowship. They don't want to miss church. They, 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 they want to gather with God's people. What happens over time? Things come in the way. Pull of the world, flesh, sin. That's why it's vital to use spiritual discipline. Even when you don't feel like it, do what you should do. This morning I want to challenge you. Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Can you truly evaluate your, where you are in your life? And the Bible says, blessed are they which hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. What, are, what, is, what is the longing in your life? What is the hunger in your life? Is it to relieve the pressure of the busyness? Is it to enjoy some, some other stuff in the world? What is the longing of your heart? What is the longing of your life? Is it to, to, to see souls saved? Is it to see the, the, the church be strengthened and to be the vessel? Is it, to, is it to honor and glorify the Lord? What is the desire in your heart? If it's not those things, then I'm challenging you this morning to, to, really, to really evaluate, am I, being, am I filled with the Spirit? What am I longing after? Everywhere in Scripture, again, to be redundant. Everywhere we see the filling of the Spirit of God. 
You can't hold anybody back. Can't hold them back. Submission, surrender, and obedience with a willingness and desire to, obey, to follow the Lord. That's being filled with the Spirit. So what are, what are you filled with this morning? The Spirit or the flesh or worldly desires? I don't know about you. I fall so short. And I miss the mark. But man, I want to be filled with the Spirit every day. There's so much greater joy. There's so much greater fulfillment. And again, if you've never experienced that, then you're missing out. If you say, I don't know that I've ever felt what it was to be filled with the Spirit of God. I'm telling you this. I've, by God's grace, I've been able to experience some awesome things in life. Uh, from marriage to ch children being born uh, to, to even things in this world. Like There's been some great things I've been able to experience. There is nothing compared to leading a soul to Jesus Christ and seeing them get saved. That, 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 I mean, that, it's just to see a supernatural thing happen, to, see, to, to, to humbly be a part of, of God's supernatural birthing someone into his kingdom, that is just amazing. Some of you remember it when you got saved. You remember all you wanted to do was serve the Lord. All you wanted to do was gather with other believers and get to know them better and worship the Lord. When you got saved, you, you, you were filled with the Spirit. All you wanted to do was what God told you to do. Christian, this morning, what's changed? And what needs to change? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all you do. Pray that you just move now as we respond to your word. God, help us. Help us to, to be your children. Lord, this world is, it feels like the time is drawing near, and we don't need to be spiritually slumbering. We need to be filled with your Spirit. So we can be who you've called us to be and accomplish what you've called us to accomplish. We ask you to just move now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings.